So, happy Super Bowl Sunday, everyone. Woo! Love it or hate it, Super Bowl Sunday is one of the most watched events of the year in our country. And for better or worse, has become a universal spectacle of the wide spectrum that is America. Furthermore, whatever your feelings about competitive athletics in general or professional sports specifically, they are undeniably a driving force in our contemporary culture. And on occasion, as in the case of Colin Kaepernick, and before him, LeBron James, and Billie Jean King, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Bill Russell, and Jackie Robinson, and on and on and on. Individual athletes can help us move our society forward. So in honor of these contributions, and in honor of the lessons we might learn from examining the metaphors abundant in our world of sports, let us go forward into worship. Whoever you are, from wherever you come, you are welcome here. Whomever you love, however you define family, you are welcome. The identities you hold, how you wish to be called, and your pronouns are respected and welcomed here. Whatever the color of your skin, the language your grandparents spoke, those cultures that move in your being, we welcome you. Whatever you believe, whatever your prayer and sacrament, we welcome you to share in our faith of love. And so might we go forward ever in love. Welcome to our worship. Welcome to our celebration. Thank you, Diane, and thank you, Alex, and thank you all who came in in sports apparel and everyone who hates sports but is here anyway. <laughs> so again, happy Super Bowl Sunday, everyone. Now, my, my father, who's a staunch Unitarian Universalist and a recovering Mormon, among other identities that he holds, always joked, when Notre Dame and Boston College are both in a tournament, who does Jesus root for? <laughs> and my answer, of course, is Brandeis. <laughs> now, for those of you who don't get the joke, Notre Dame and Boston College are both Catholic Jesuit institutions. Brandeis is, of course, a secular Jewish university outside of Boston. Now, it is another Super Bowl Sunday, another opportunity to engage in the most watched television event of the year, at least in America, joining over 100 million people worldwide whose eyes will be trained on the game, but also on the pageantry of the pregame, the halftime show, and the commercials, so many commercials that will punctuate the five hours or more of coverage this evening. There's, of course, plenty of drama to be had on the field. Two long-beleaguered franchises, two new hotshot quarterbacks, two stout defenses to contend for the Lombardi Trophy. 
I'm going to start with a little exercise. Who can tell me the name of both starting quarterbacks in this game? Just shout it out. Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo, we got one. Anyone else? Patrick Mahomes, that's correct. Who can tell me the name of both head coaches in the game? This is a little harder. Andy Reid. Andy Reid for Kansas City and anyone? Kyle Shanahan? All right, well, we got three out of four. (laughs) Now, who here can tell me the name of any, any, of the last five Nobel Peace Prize laureates. Shout it out. No, he was nine years ago and arguably didn't deserve it. But good guess. (laughs) See? Okay. Here they are, in order, and yes, I had to look them up too. 2019. Abi Ahmed Ali, for his efforts to achieve peace and international cooperation between his native Ethiopia and neighboring Eritrea. 2018, Dennis Mukwabi and Nadia Murad, for their efforts to end the use of sexual violence as a weapon of war. 2017, the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons. I can, for its work to draw attention to the catastrophic humanitarian consequences of any use of nuclear weapons, and for its groundbreaking efforts to achieve a treaty-based prohibition of such weapons. 2016, Juan Manuel Santos, for his resolute efforts to bring Colombia's more than 50-year-long civil war to an end. And 2015, the National Dialogue Quartet for its decisive contribution to the building of a pluralistic democracy in Tunisia in the wake of the Jasmine Revolution. So this little exercise illustrates, I think, that we are obviously more well-versed in our sports culture than our culture of world peacemaking which admittedly makes me feel a little guilty. How about you? Now, this, this arguably painful exercise illustrates the point that the culture of sports is vital to the American psyche, that our favorite teams and players are an integral part of the way we work and view the world. And as I say often, there's... There's a metaphor in here somewhere, lots of metaphors, in fact, for the way we live our lives in and out of sports culture. Now, beyond the simple win or lose binary analogy, beyond the inspiration we might glean from those rare feats of superhuman performance at the most significant times, there are some simple, dare I say, life lessons to be learned from sports. So, for example, let's take baseball. Now, in my opinion, baseball is one of the most god-awful, boring waste of time I can see. <clears throat> that is, until, say, let's say, deep into the playoffs, if not the World Series itself, and then only if I have a horse in the race. 
and having 162 games per team in a season that lasts fewer than 190 days means that uh, baseball games are on TV and radio constantly. Now, my own impatience for the sport aside, there are, of course, many who enjoy the pace of the game, the pregnant pauses and the pageantry that is the one-on-one -on -one duel between pitcher and batter, that explosive energy released when something spectacular does actually happen, the game-winning walk-off hit, a hoop-crushing double play, a booming home run over the green monster seats and onto Lansdowne Street. That's a Boston reference for a uh -huh. But in general, I certainly respect those who enjoy baseball, and especially those who delve deeply into that math that is baseball statistics, though I'm not usually one of them. There are a few times where looking at the great American pastime and paying attention to those all important numbers, those statistics with each category neatly packed into abbreviated headers above columns filled with numbers calculated to the third decimal point. And even though I cannot decipher the majority of the categories, the whips and obs and eras, uh, yeah, I actually do know that one. There is one that I think everyone knows. That's batting average, right? It measures the percentage of a time a batter gets a hit, kind of. So in professional Major League Baseball, an average hitter who plays most of the season gets a hit about one out of every four at-bats. One out of four. Now this calculates to a 250 batting average, 25%. And in fact, for both leagues last year, both the uh, both leagues of Major League Baseball last year, the cumulative average for all batters was .251, so almost exactly a .250 average. Now we use the term average loosely because this is, of course, a very select group of athletes who compete in the Major League Baseball. But they are going up against an equally, if not more, select group of professional pitchers. So, over 26 weeks of a season, about 150 games or so for the average baseball player, the average hitter will go to bat somewhere between 450 and 500 times, not counting those times he walks or gains first base by other means. So a hitter with a 250 batting average hits about 125 hits in a season. It's 125 out of 500 tries. So that's not bad. It's pretty good, actually, considering the competition. But it helps us to think a little bit about what, what you could do to change that. Think about what just one more hit a week could do to a player's status. So if you do the math, one more hit each week, adding one hit a week to a 250 hitter over the course of a season calculates to a 302 hitter. Now 302 would rank eighth 
best in the league last year. And this is a league that includes more than 1,300 players. So connecting for just one more hit every week turns the average professional baseball player into one in the 99th percentile. Now, just one hit a week, not one a game, not one every two games, just one every, say, four or five games. One extra blooping fly that drops in between the shortstop and the outfielder. One bouncing grounder that careens off the first base bag. One bunt that is too well-placed for the pitcher to field in time. Just one extra hit a week over the course of an entire season is what separates a player from being average and being really, really good. Just one extra hit a week. Now, though it may be simple, and the numbers may be surprisingly small, an extra hit a week for a professional is not easy. Simple, but not easy. If it were, of course, everyone would do it. But what is so impressive about this little fact, about this big game, is that the difference is not how easy it is, it is that it is possible at all. Batters hitting 250 are much closer to that elite level than even they might realize. They already get a hit five times out of every 20 at-bats. Just one more, and they might be a superstar. Now, we are not, in fact, baseball players here, or at least none of us is a professional that I know of. But the metaphor, I think, is apt. How many times do we come to bat? each day? How many times are we faced with decisions where we are given a choice to react out of fear or to react out of love? When we are placed in a position where we might value either ourselves alone or the whole of existence. When we can choose to make the world a better place for everyone or struggle to just get by on our own. Those times we react out of fear and anger and selfishness are our strikeouts. If the baseball analogy holds, we cannot be expected to get a hit every time, but we can be conscious of trying to increase our average just a little bit every day, every week, just one extra hit a week can take us from where we are, well-meaning yet static, and perhaps lift us to the next elite level of personhood. It is not easy, necessarily, but it is simple. To catch oneself before reacting viscerally and instead breathe in peace and breathe out love. To take the time to realize that others who anger us are reacting often from their own pain and their own fear. To be conscious of living in gratitude for our blessings rather than in despair for our shortcomings. In this way, hopefully, one extra hit a week becomes two becomes five, and so on, and soon might we be living more fully 
into our essence of love. And the beautiful thing about this metaphor is that unlike baseball players or professional athletes in general who, whose careers can be over in the blink of an eye or the pop of a tendon, our lives as people can long outlast even the most epic of athletic tenures. At the very same burgeoning middle age that signals the beginning of the end of an athlete's time in the spotlight, people's minds develop a greater understanding of the connections between and among circumstances. And if we work at it, people can develop more compassion for others as well in this time of life. And while the baseball season is limited to only 162 games a year, we step to the plate of moral decisiveness every day of our lives with countless opportunities to improve or worsen our own batting average. If only we are conscious about it, disciplined in our approach and intentional about our desired results, we can all slowly become superstars. So yes, even I, the impatient Gen Xer with a little time for the grueling grind of the long baseball season, can at least find some meaning in the sport. If we can all connect on that one elusive yet possible extra hit a week, we might all be better people for it. So, again, happy Super Bowl. Enjoy the game tonight, or the commercials, or the halftime show, or any and all of the above. And try to see the metaphors within the competition. And try ever to get one extra hit whenever you have the opportunity. Blessed be and honor.